Okay. Um, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. So this section of the book uh, had a lot of things happening into it, and uh, frankly, too much. And I just lopped off the end of my talk today. So we, there's a lot of things to talk about, so we don't really have to stick to the, the discussion guide. Um, but the Bible comes up quite a bit in this section, along with a little bit about, uh, well, Roman Catholicism and true, the true nature of the church and things like that. So, but uh, since the Bible came up first, we're just going to we're going to talk about the Bible today a little bit. Um, not not in terms of like, well, we'll study the Bible, but also just like what it is as a uh, as a book and. Uh, you know, something maybe that you have wrestled with before. Uh, obviously, J- Jennifer Fulwire has wrestled with the Bible and just as a, as a document. So, and I think it's helpful for us to at least have some answers for some people who see uh, an old-fashioned book as being less trustworthy in terms of its content. Uh, I mean, that, that obviously, they don't have to believe it, but to uh, say some uh, un factual things about the Bible, you know, as Christians, we should at least be able to uh, bring up the facts. So, but anyways, your initial thoughts on this section, 91 to 115 maybe, yeah. So, there's a lot going on there. Any, anything in particular that struck, stuck out? It, it doesn't have to be, so. I mean, I have plenty to say, so, I, but I thought I'd ask you first. Cindy? Well, I just, well, I've read the whole book, but yes. I just think it's ironic that he's criticizing Catholicism and then at the end that he's kind of... Uh, yeah, so their initial... I that when I was reading the book the first time and I read the second time, like, oh my gosh. Yes. They have some, uh, some interesting perspectives on the Roman Catholic Church when they first start uh, the blog, or whatever it was called back then, chat room or something. Mary. <laughs> no offense to anybody who's from Hinsdale. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you know, let's not let's not uh, replace one stereotype with another. Okay. Well, you know, okay. So uh, obviously, in the beginning of the book, you know, she has a, a kind of uh, like a, a kind of a clear vision of how life is going to be, right? A, a very, like the good life. And obviously when Donald comes along, that all kind of gets sh- shaken up. So she's in the process of change. And yeah, so one of the things that I, I wrote in my margins in that section was, uh, well, some pages earlier, a few pa- chapters or so, she talks about like making sacrifices. And I think she's still, she doesn't quite understand what that means yet. So she's still learning what that means and how she still understands sacrifice as a, like, strictly as a loss that I'm just going to kind of give up. But what she'll find out in the end is that as she, quote-unquote, sacrifices her previous life, she actually is what? She's, she's gaining something. And uh, in an article, I don't know if I said this earlier, but, you know, she never saw herself as having children. Of course, she has Donald. Now she's pregnant again, I think, in this part of the story. Mm-hmm. And she has five children. And one of the things that she said is that, um, or does she have six? I don't know. She's got a lot of kids. She's got more than, more than many kids. people. Yes. The, uh, um, but what she said in this interview was is that uh, when she was, you know, first married, she was living in this high rise, you know, in Austin. She thought she had a lot, you know, a lot of life around her. But it wasn't until she had given all that up to realize that now she has life. Like she has, a, a, so when she became a Christian, I think she says is that um, my initial reaction was like I, I would be losing something, but I'm actually just gaining life. And so part of the, I, that's why she's including all this information in the story is that she's kind of, giving the reality of how, as Christians, we really, we can't hang on to that old stuff. can't hang on to that old life. 
And even our understanding of sacrifice still needs to be continually kind of refined. Because she, she saw sacrifice in terms of being temporal. Hey, I'm just going to give up a little time, stay with my mom, and then I'm going to go back to normal. Right? Well, of course, if you finish the book, you realize that's not actually the case. I mean, she does move out of her mother's home, but it's not like it goes back to normal. So, anyways. Okay. Anything else? Carol? On, on the Bible, it's about Yeah. It's on page 94. Okay. And she said, I continue to stare at the Bible. I could not escape, escape the feeling that there was something real that I had yet to find. Some treasure buried beneath. Right. As if the book had its own gravity field. I felt it drawn to it, took it up to read it. But you've done this a lot of times. And then she goes on to do the, oh, let's just see what God has me to do. Yes. Now, how many people in this room at one time in their life has taken the Bible and said, oh, Lord, I need some help? Come on, everyone's done it. Oh, man, so unbelievable. We should have bought a lottery ticket that night. Oh, man. Oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Yes, uh, uh, and in fact, uh, I think that that's where I, uh, that's kind of where I start the discussion, is that, but Jen. I thought the nonchalance with which her husband said, you're having this big controversy about Jesus, but you're going to get there and you're going to become a Christian. It was like, he's doing all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he comes out with this profound statement and just keeps doing it. It's like, and I think she was just, huh, I didn't even think he was listening to me. Yeah, right. Now, uh... He knew God was working in her life. Right. You know, he, he wasn't the one that was going to be able to convince her. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll ever talk about it, but I, I've been thinking about their relationship just in general. And, uh, uh boy... I don't, if I've, I've mentioned this to somebody recently. So uh, at the beginning of October, I think, or en- no, end of September, I, the, Bishop Litkin from Siberia and I took a half a dozen high school kids to the theater in Chicago. To uh, it, it was called Miracles in the Fall, and it was about, well, it was about a nun and her dad and brother and this priest. and Anyways. But the point was is that uh, this priest has this kind of unusual perspective on the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve. And what he says is that it's, it's kind of, it made me kind of think a little bit, I mean, not the priest, the character who plays, I mean, the person, the character priest, says um, the miracle in the fall is that Adam and Eve stay together. And, if, and I've never really thought about that. Because if you know anybody who's gone through a divorce or who has had a major disagreement within a, a, a marriage. Uh, sticking together usually is not kind of the, the first response. It's, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, and you better admit it, or else our relationship's going to be on the rocks. Now, okay, so, you know, I mean, there's some ambiguity in terms of whether that's a proper interpretation of all that. But the question is, is still, I think, a valid question. And so I think about Jennifer and Joe and how this relationship, how their relationship is um, on a certain level not, not in line with each other. But as the story unfolds, it becomes more and more in line. But it, 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 how does that come about? And it's not that Joe is saying, you better believe this, you know, or else. It is, it's, he, they have this certain, certain kind of relationship where they're, it, they're being carried along by something that is actually, you know, more than they are. And so, yeah, Jan, your observation, I think, is along those lines, is that Joe realizes something really special is happening, and he's not getting in the way. 
And to a certain extent, he doesn't even know exactly what that is. Because, I mean, his faith is really kind of shallow and basic. But at the same time, it's, it's this, uh, this sense of kind of like commitment. It's going to keep going. It's not like an ending. So the conflict or the, the disagreement is understood in a wider scope of like moving forward. So like Adam and Eve, I mean, I mean, you, think, I mean you really think about like what, what kind of conversations did they have with each other? You know, like, Adam, like, you know, why'd you do that? And then Eve was like, well, you were standing next to me. Why didn't you say anything? You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's just, that's kind of, I would say that's kind of normal, right? But they have no, they have no kind of, they have no sense of that. Uh, there's no sense of that. There's no sense of, uh, of uh, placing blame. It is basically, this is all screwed up. We've screwed up. And we got to keep going. we got to keep moving forward. So, like, Joe's perspective is that this relationship is not quite right, but we got to keep going, because if we don't, then, then, you know, basically things will fall apart. And so um, I, I, I kind of see that through. I'm, 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 I think Joe's kind of an interesting guy. So, anyways. Krista. But, Krista, I think he knows the Bible, because he wrote John 3.16. Well, yeah, I would say he doesn't really know the Bible. Yeah, yeah, so no, no, yeah, so I, I would say, I, I think, he, I mean, he, what you could say is that he, like he said in that quote there, he knows maybe the fundamental point, or, or as we say, what is it, uh, the Bible in a nutshell, John three sixteen or something, the gospel in a nutshell. So he knows that, and from that, though, he knows more than he actually does, I, I would say that, because I, I he can't really articulate too much. I mean, he even said that earlier, right? That he, I, I'm kind of a, what does he say, a non-practicing Christian or whatever he calls himself. Yeah, yeah. So you can't really be practicing, you can't be a non-practicing Christian and, and really know your, well, I mean, you could be an atheist and know your Bible. There's, there's plenty of those people, but in terms of his perspective, saying he's a Christian, he still doesn't know much. So. And he says something else. Scrutiny, but maybe the religion that's built up around him doesn't. Right. Now, so this is this is also something that I I, I I don't know. There's too much stuff in this book. That that question's a really good question because I think in one of the blog I think I quoted in here one of the, one of the the bloggers a response says um, you really can't throw away the church and keep Jesus. They're they're really connected. And there is a lot of, especially kind of, I just read a book review of, of someone who basically said, you know, I gave up church and found Jesus. Well, okay. Um, I, I don't actually think that's true. Well, first of all, I don't think it's biblical. It's not biblical. I don't think. I know it's not biblical. But um, on a certain level, maybe somebody, you know, you could, you could say that kind of... Um, polemically, but not in actuality. So, because there's some problems with uh, Romans chapter 10. In fact, I quote it. I think we'll, if we have time, we'll look at it. Um, you, you need to have the church to hear the gospel. So, Holly. I thought it was interesting how Joe has been kind of this, uh, like a dead weight for a long time as far as his spirituality. And then as soon as he sort of had interested in church, he was like, that next Sunday, Right. But we were, you said we were going to go to church. It was like a, a fire had been lit under him, and he was ready to do it. Yeah. I think, I think that's the next section. So don't, oh, but you gave it away. It's okay. We're headed that way. You haven't figured it out. I think by the end of this section, though, you're probably, uh, Joe has been lit. I mean, he, he, his, a fire has been lit inside him by the end of this little section, because he's really into the blog, and I think is it at the end of the section or the beginning of the next section where he writes a response in her name? Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, but along those lines then, when they go to church, uh, they go to a variety of churches, but then they talk about their first time in this, uh, uh, I think it's the church they end up going to, um, how they come, he comes with notes, you know, about the church service, and this is the good part. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, Cindy and Lindsay and go ahead, Cindy. 
Well, I think it's interesting how Joe just, he has such, I guess he has faith. I mean. Sure. Oh, yeah, he definitely has faith. Jesus, yeah. You know, eventually, and yet. He's been baptized. Yeah. He's been baptized, and he knows, he's totally set on Jesus, and yet he hasn't, he doesn't go to church to, like, nourish it. Right. Yet he's so sure that she's going to, you know, he'll figure everything out. Right. Yeah, so I, this is, but this is the thing, though, is that it's not like Joe is the leader. I mean, they are like, they're, they're becoming more in line and working together as a couple. You know, I, I think that's kind of the fun thing about it, is that, the, you know, they kind of play off each other. So, Lindsay. That's right. That's yeah. That's a good. That's a good observation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because Joe is not. I mean, he's a bright guy, right? And it sounds like his faith up till now has not been necessarily like intellectual. But Jennifer, of course, that's all. That's the only kind of questions she has are intellectual questions. So when she, you know she starts interacting with these people on the internet, yeah, there's these kind of between Joe and these people, they kind of. They kind of meet in Jennifer as a person. So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Elizabeth. Yes, good question. That will be next week. Because next week we have this trial. And she actually, for the first time in her life, says she can see what? Evil. So, uh, Pastor Bukes was going to maybe bring it up last week, but I said, you know, it, it's probably more appropriate in discussion of this trial because um, what we find out, so, so yeah, so the, the, the question is a theodicy question, you know, how can, how can there be a good God and have this evil happen? And um, with the discussion of this, I forgot his name, the guy, Who's the evil person? Is Jaworski the, the, the defendant or the plaintiff? I can't remember, but. He's the client, okay. So whoever the, the, the bad guy, the evil guy is, is um, what she, when she kind of realizes is that evil isn't always, I'm sorry, the diabolicalness of evil is the fact that it's not recognized as evil. And so what we often will see as evil is tragedy. You know, bad things happening to good people. That's a tragedy. Um, And of course then, you know, so we always ask the question why, but we never ask, well, I, I, this is how I kind of start the discussion is you find the most tragic moment in history and ask the question why first. Find that point. And then all tragedies in light of that tragedy will then at least um, be understood correctly. I mean, it won't change the fact that they're a tragedy, but it will be. So, so answer, what, what's the most tragic event in human history? Okay. Fall. Crucifixion. Crucifixion, which technically, Pat, is called a holocaust, by the way. Did you know that? The crucifixion is a holocaust. Holocaust is an Old Testament term, by the way. Whole burnt offering, that's what that means. And Jesus is offered up as the whole burnt offering. He's the holocaust. But that's trivial pursuit answer right there. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, the, the most tragic event in human history is the, the death of God, a loving God. So we have to ask ourselves, not, not how come there's evil, how can a loving God allow evil, but how could a lo- loving God, an innocent God, allow evil happen to him? Now, so, now that's a tough question to answer. But what is the, I mean, what's the simple answer? Yeah, love. So now, now there's a plethora of issues happening in this discussion. Anyways, well, Pastor Bukes can handle that next week. So, 
<laughs> but think about it for the week, though, is because when we understand the question of, of evil and good, where is that resolved? It's resolved in the crucifixion, but not in a way that we feel necessarily satisfied. And that is the burden we bear as people, as we make it through life with hope, not necessarily complete satisfaction to this answer. Our hope is that justice will happen. Justice will roll down. I think Isaiah talks about justice will roll down from the heavens like uh, crashing waves or something like that. And of course then, too, I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question like a shotgun, so there's a bunch of different things here. Um, is also, too, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. So we pray for these things to be resolved. And for many of us, sometimes they are. But for others, they're not. And so you... Um, there is... Uh, the, uh, it happened, to, I don't know, within the last 10 years, this shooting in the Amish community. Yeah, with the children. The man went into the school and shot all these children. Does he, he doesn't even know like what happened afterwards. Yeah, forgave him. Not just like in words, though. Like, what else did they do? Whose funeral did they go to? Yeah, they yeah they they attended it and they and then they invited the family into their homes and all this craziness. I mean, I, I it's crazy. I think in a very good way. It's 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 like it's overwhelming to kind of explore the story. So, okay, you have this great evil that's happened, great tragedy. And so, I mean, how did they how did they handle it? They handled it in a very profound way. That doesn't explain evil. It doesn't actually put blame on anything. Like like for instance, uh, it, 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 they're not concerned about the blame. They're concerned about reconciliation. And they're concerned about love. I mean, that would be kind of a simple answer. But how that all gets flushed out. So, as Christians, when we handle evil, we, it's not like they excuse it either. I mean, that's another thing too. It's like, uh, we should be angry about evil as Christians. We should, we should fight against the, the, the prince of darkness. We should, um, but when tragedies strikes because of evil our response then is is forgiveness and love and uh, that kind of uh, scenario doesn't make sense kind of for our old Adam our sinful selves and for kind of the world too because that doesn't make sense right may father forgive them for they know not what they do that statement from Jesus changed history really did uh, there's a there's a uh, French guy uh, uh, René Girard if you guys want to get into it you should check it out he was a uh, English professor at Stanford uh, he converted later in life but he wrote this book called um, uh, Secrets from the uh, Foundation or uh, something from the Foundation of the World and he discusses this uh, you know, kind of this what, what father forgive them for they know not what they do, and he 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 basically blows open like sociology and uh, philosophy, psychology. This is a variety of little topics. So, anyways, there you go. That's all right. So hopefully that uh, gives you enough to think about, Elizabeth, for the rest of the week. Yeah, oh yeah. Right. Right. And one of the, one of the things too is that I mean I'm just going to throw out another question is um why does God always have to make sense? Well, yeah. Now, it's just that God does, should make sense. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like God's irrational. But Isaiah 55 
it's instructive for us. And it's not a cop-out, though. I mean, this is, this is part of the, the actually, uh, this is part of your discussion about Bible, too, is that Isaiah 55 at 9 and 10, or is it 6 through 8, or there's that whole, not, it's really a pretty little section right there. But uh, Isaiah says, uh, God says to Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. So there uh, will be times when that is true. As Christians, I mean, this is, a, this is, a, this is something we believe in. It's in the Bible. So uh, uh, now someone who's not a Christian might say, well, that, that, I don't like that kind of God. And, okay, so, all right. But the, uh, the example of Christians throughout history, though, will, should still cause them to question themselves. I mean, case in point is the, uh, the, you know, this Amish community just recently, but uh, you know, throughout history there's these examples of, of uh, forgiveness. Um, so, yeah, so the idea that God's going to make sense to us at all times, or, it, it, first of all, it's kind of a... a, a, a Kind of an illogical, well, it, it, it's a silly statement because my children, life doesn't make sense to them a lot of times, but it makes sense to me because why? I'm so, yeah, I'm so, much, I'm so much wiser, right? I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on a certain level, that happens throughout all of our life, that we, sometimes we just have a problem making sense of anything because, well, just, we're not quite with it like other people are. But of course, you know, even the most wise person in the world, you know, they will butt up against their, uh, the un, there's a, a whole strand of theology is kind of the unknowable God, like he's unknowable. Um, you know, you'll come up against that God, so. Well, if you don't believe, if you don't believe that God's thinking so much higher and no, then you're equating yourself with God. All right, yes. Well, right, and but the, but so some people say that, and then they kind of give up, like knowing. So you have this kind of like this anti-intellectual form of faith, which you know, ten, ten, uh, most of the time gets associated with fundamentalism. You know, like, I mean, that, that when I grew up, I was told not to ask questions. Or. Sorry, it wasn't. So, I wasn't said that. It was. Why are you asking so many questions? Don't you know? Don't you believe? Oh, okay. Yes, I do. Always oh, drove me crazy. All right. Any other things? Oh man! Holy smokes! I told Pastor Bruce this was going to happen, but. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about the Bible. I I, th- I think this is helpful. Uh, this is not one of my most interesting subjects for me. But I think it's also very, it's not interesting for me because it's just kind of easy questions to answer. Because the Bible is overwhelmingly reliable. I mean, it's just amazing. But let's talk about what the Bible is for. And I quote the thing from uh, page 95 where she, she, you know, she's trying to answer her search engine optimization problems with (laughs) verses from the Bible. Um... But in chapel, yeah, who knows? I, you know, I'm sure there's some numerological algorithm that might have helped it. I don't know. But uh, John 20, 30 through 31, I read that in the chapel, is um, instructive for us to understand what the Bible is for. And to keep it simple, uh, this is kind of the fundamental point why the Bible is round. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll read it real quick. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So this is helpful for us, too, to understand the Bible. There's a lot of things that happen that are not inside the pages here. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what the Bible's for. This is what the Bible's for, right there. Bam. Um, I, I, well, I forgot to bring that down. Uh, I had talked to high school students when I first got here and we went on we went to Higher Things conference and on our way out to Asheville, North Carolina, we ended up stopping at a, a truck stop or, or gas station or something. 
And one of the kids bought me this uh, thing where it says, um, if all else fails, check the instructions. And it's got a little picture of the Bible. And uh, they knew that was going to just ruffle my feathers because I had told them that the Bible's not, it's not an instruction manual. <laughs> so I still have that upstairs somewhere. Um, because that's not what the Bible's for. The Bible, I mean, if you want to say it's instructions about believing Jesus, you know, according to John 20, but that's not what most people understand the Bible. Uh, anyways, uh, that's what the Bible's for. And now there's a lot to what that means, of course, in life, but you may have life in his name, so we have to understand what that life looks like and how that comes about. But it's not about, uh, it's not magic. The Bible's not magic. It's not a crystal ball, and it's not, a, uh, your, it's not an instruction manual for your DVD player or Blu-ray or whatever it is now. Um, it is something that gives life. And um, I think for many of us, when we have the uh, wrong or false expectations, and then when we are disappointed, of course, we, you can't believe this now. And really, it has no, it, it has a, uh, our disbelief has more to do with uh, ourselves than any kind of real struggle with the scripture itself. There are some real stru- struggles with the scripture, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, uh, I think uh, his name is, uh, I can't remember, it's Marcus Borg. He was a Wheaton College graduate from many decades ago, and he's a, he's a great scholar, but he's, a, he's basically an agnostic now. Mm-hmm. And he struggled through a lot of the things that scripture has and kind of came out disbelieving. So, I mean, it's not like if you have all the right expectations, things will all work out for you. Um, but I think a lot of our problems are, are based on these false expectations. I mean, she, called her, she said she's going insane. Well, why is she going insane? Well, she's, she's looking up uh, search engine optimization solutions. So, you know, in the Bible, that's, that's just not going to work. So, all right. Um, but of course, we've all done it, right? We've all stuck our finger in the Bible saying, oh Lord, show me what I need to do. Um, when in fact, probably your prayer is what you just needed to do. That's another thing too. So, I mean, I, that, just diagnosing you, our own <laughs> mental problems. All right, so what is the Bible about? Um, and, you know, she's got all these questions about, like, I can't figure any of this out. I mean, it's all a bunch of Jewish stuff, and I don't understand what it is. And, um, and then, you know, the issue of Christians not being able to agree on how to interpret any of it. Um, but Joe stopped me. He was, and then that's when he quotes John 3.16. But um, now the question is, can you actually figure out what the Bible is about just by simply reading it? And, you know, this is, this is somewhat of a discussion within Christianity. Some people say yes. And I would say no. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to qualify what that means, though. I think oftentimes people who say, I read the Bible and I became a Christian, probably have already run into Christians and or been to church. So there's already someone who's informing them or leading them or speaking God's word to them. You know, there's a couple examples. First is Romans 8, 26 through 40. It's, it's uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, what did I say? Oh, yes, Acts 8. Romans is the next one, which we'll get to, too. But uh, Acts 8. So the story goes. Uh, uh, Philip is walking along. Then there's this Ethiopian eunuch who went to Jerusalem to worship. Of course, this is after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So the church is now out, and um, he's reading it. So he, he, he's reading it out loud. So that's another thing to think about. But uh, he's reading it out loud, and Philip, you know, hey, do you know what you're reading? And what does the does anyone know what the Ethiopian eunuch says? How can I? Uh, what unless? Teach me, show me. Yeah, I mean this whole thing, right? Now. Okay, he's go- he went to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to worship. 
And that's kind of a big commitment to do something that you really don't know what you're doing. So, I mean, have you ever thought about that? So, so this guy, it's not like this guy is some like, hey, I just found this scroll lying on the ground and I'm reading it. This guy's in it. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's uh, I mean, you guys know maybe the story. So there's Jewish people in Ethiopia. I mean, there still is, but so he, you know, he's going to the, he's a good Jew and he goes to the temple to, for Passover and worship. And, um, anyways, so he makes this profound statement, I don't know, unless someone shows me. And what does Philip do? Yeah, now, now, does anyone have that? He says, using there, he tells what? Uh, it, it's, I, think, I think the word is used. First of all, did I get it right? Okay, I did get it right. Okay, good. Um, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, with this section from Isaiah. And what's interesting is they come along and they find some water and he says, yeah, I'm going to be baptized now. And there's water. Nothing's stopping me. So this is very interesting about biblical interpretation. Baptism is in the book of Isaiah. <laughs> but that's a whole other little, little trivia there too. But So it, he takes Isaiah, tells the gospel of Jesus, and baptism comes. So without, without that, the Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia what? Just still someone who doesn't know his Bible. But with the teacher, he's able to understand things. Now, within that, we actually find out what the, what the Bible is about. But before we get to that too, though, is Romans 10, 14 through 17, is a, there's a, a series of questions that Paul proposes. How will they believe, unless what? Yeah, until someone tells them. Uh, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now he's talking about the the Jews. Uh, Before Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So this is an interesting thing is that the emphasis in in Paul is on reading, right? No, it's on hearing. It's on listening. And listening obviously comes from someone speaking. So this is something really important, especially as Lutherans, and this is the part I was, I'm not sure we'll ever get to, well, we will at some time, is that faith in Christ precedes any sort of understanding of the Bible. The Bible, that, that's really important for us. Christ is authoritative to Scripture. And there's Christian denominations that actually, logically speaking, put the Bible over Jesus. Okay, so, um, and and this is really kind of where it comes from, is that belief comes from hearing, hearing comes from preaching, and preaching comes from uh, the office of the Holy Ministry being sent. But what Paul is actually talking about, though, is if you have someone preaching and hearing, what's that called? Simple word. Rhymes with lurch. (laughs) It's the church. (laughs) So you... So what we have here is Paul, the very dynamic understanding of the church and the working of the church, the preaching, the receiving, the witnessing. And so how do you understand the Bible, but yet to be in that, in that dynamic relationship within the church? So what happens is, the, so the Ethiopian eunuch now, he's been, to, he's, the, uh, Philip has preached to him. I mean, not in a, necessarily a church service. But he's been witness, and then when he gets baptized, like, you become part of what? The church. I mean, that's, that's just the simple thing. That's what happens. That's the normal biblical witness, is that when you uh, hear the gospel and believe, then you're part of this community, because only within this community, then are you able to grow in knowledge of the truth and uh, life of, of Christ. Okay. 
So, um, yeah, Lizzie. Well, he, he was, he, uh, you mean the eunuch. What kind of faith did he have? He was, yeah, he was a Jew. Now, Jews are very special, though, so I'll give you that. Uh, no, in terms of, I mean, they are, I mean, they're special in the sense that this, this is God's chosen people. And really, as Christians, I mean, we're all kind of Jewish in a sense, because we're all children of Abraham. But, but in terms of the Ethiopian eunuch, I mean, fundamentally, he was reading the Old Testament with what on, though? Like, blinders. Okay? And on that level, who else claims uh, of the Bible, who you would say are, uh, they could be very faithful, but it's the wrong faith. Mormons, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm not calling them the Ethiopian eunuch, a Mormon, or a Jehovah's Witness. But what I'm saying is that he, in terms of his full knowledge, or that point of the book, John chapter 20, life in his name, he didn't have that. So, uh, but Lindsay brings up an interesting point, somewhat tangential to what she says, but I think very important. As we talk about the Bible, and we make these claims that the Bible is, is uh, some words have been used, infallible, inerrant. There's other people who say the same things, otherwise known as the Mormons. And I mean, so uh, making these claims about the Bible is not necessarily uh, helpful. But so that's the thing. So is that the uh, Ethiopian eunuch will say a lot of things that are actually what we would consider faithful. But when it comes to the, the fundamental point of having life in Christ's name, he does not have it. Well, not yet, anyways. We did at the end of the story. Um, and that's important for us because in Luke chapter 24, the disciples, even after seeing Jesus resurrected, are still in the same boat as the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, that's kind of a false dichotomy, but anyways, I'm still going to use it. Um, so... You have, what is the thing that kindly makes sense for them? Well, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus shows up, peace be with you. See my hands, see my feet, I'm not, you know, I'm not a ghost, I'm, I'm a real person. Uh, and then he opens their minds to what? To understand the scriptures. This is why, as Lutherans, we say Jesus is above the Bible. You cannot understand the scripture without this relationship to Jesus, or life in his name. And that's why the Ethiopian eunuch is, is basically riding along blind. So, um, now, that, this is important for us because without Jesus' teaching, now, okay, yeah, just without, the apostles won't understand the scripture. And of course, what is the scripture that Jesus is making reference to? The Old Testament. But the early church obviously then applied that to all of the Bible. Pat. So you have to receive the Holy Spirit, even as an unbeliever, open your mind to the Holy Spirit before you can believe. Yes. Now, here's the thing, though. How does the Holy Spirit work? Through what means? This is very important. Actually, this is a Luther. This is where I, I man, I, I, I'm going to... Um, so Lutherans have a very understanding, a very interesting means of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word mean of, means of grace is not actually a Lutheran term. I mean, I use it all the time, but it's a fine term, but that's actually not specifically Lutheran. Uh, Lutherans have the means of the Holy Spirit. That's in our, not to get too nerdy, that's in the Book of Concord. That is what makes us Lutherans, Lutherans. Um, it's the means of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's word, yeah, it's word and, to, to be simple, word and sacrament. So, so that's why when I talk about picking up the Bible and understanding what the Bible is about, it's, theologically speaking, I'm sure it can happen because God can do whatever he wants, right? Isaiah 55. But in terms of what the biblical witness has said, it comes from someone speaking who has already been opened up. So it starts with Christ, goes to the apostles. You just read, read the book of Acts. 
uh, Jesus, apostles, uh, the, uh, the apostolic church, deacons, obviously Philip, and then just starts, starts growing. And it, it grows quickly, obviously, because, right, Peter preaches, 3,000 are added. I mean, so, but it, it, that's kind of as you think about it, that's how it happens. Okay. So, yeah, so, Pat, one is opened up to belief so, uh, by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes through the preaching, the speaking, the word, the words, and the sacrament. Those are the means of the Holy Spirit. Now, the other thing, too, though, is uh, there's a, a great quote by um, uh, Anselm. Uh, I believe so that I can see. So belief comes before seeing. Right? Most of the time we think seeing comes before belief. But for uh, Christianity, one believes, and when one believes, they see much more. All right. Lindsay. Loving who? The preacher in the Dunkin' Donuts. The one that's like, have you read your book? Oh man, where? What Dunkin' Donuts is this? Uh, it's, it's, I, I want to go because I want to talk to this guy. I, I have a hard time with him because I, I don't really enjoy that because I have a hard time. It's the word of relationship. Yeah, it's like it's no. There's no church there. It, it's hard. So it's hard for me. Is this a hypothetical thing or is this no, for real? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like totally hooked on this right now, and I want to make sure I'm I'm believing a real story here. Yes. Okay. It's a little bit like her reading Augustine in the yeah in the you know hotel. Right. Um, so for me, I have a hard time engaging with him because he has he, his church is the Dunkin' Donuts. He has no community. It's just the random people. Is this really? Is this, okay. All right. All right. All right. I, I shouldn't be laughing. That's a little too far away. It's not worth my time. Okay, yeah, right. So, okay, this is a good question. Um, so this goes then to how we talk about our faith. And the reality is, is so we have this, um, hmm, I don't know what you want to call him, this guy. Preacher. He's preaching. Well, okay, so there's a whole, there's a difference. So, yeah, there is a question of authority. What kind of authority does he have to say what he says? Yeah, right. I mean, I want to get my donut and go. So I don't know how much is how much preaching is going up. But maybe he has really short sermons. I don't know. No, no. But what you're saying though is is that so basically I would think like putting it the most positively, he's he's probably has some kind of call to repentance or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly, but um, the. Uh, but the, the long-term effects of this preacher is, um, who knows? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, the, I, I would think it is like that. Yeah, the guy, the guy that drives down Main Street oftentimes. Yeah, he's got the... Now, the thing is, though, about those guys is that um, on a certain level, they, that, that, that is one way to speak truthfully. I mean, don't get me wrong. However, in terms of its, uh, yeah, effectiveness or, or the, the, the ability to relate to something. So people, anybody who talks that way, whether it be a Christian preacher or someone who's trying to advocate, I don't know, politics. I mean, it's, you know, people are like, whatever. Our culture is not established in a way that we want to actually sit down and listen to some guy rambling. And that goes along with what Cindy said, because we're always in a hurry. You know, we're always going somewhere. So the idea is that, like, will anybody ever listen to this person? Usually somebody will listen to that person to, uh, you know, mock them or, or, you know, it's usually derogatory. Now that person is putting themselves out to be that way, to hear that, to be, to be exposed to that way. Um, so, you know, i got to give them credit, but the... Uh, as a, as a Christian, then we also, we want to listen and uh, evaluate, like we want to test what is being said. 
and sometimes what's being said is not true or un untruthful. Right. But if I yeah. Yeah, right. Actually, I got a, I, I got a story uh, about that. When, we, um, when I was in college, we went to the basketball team. We went to Ireland to uh, teach Irish children basketball. Um, and we had a, a, a like a, we, went, we flew out of London, and our coach made it so we had like a two-day layover or something like that. So we were in London for a couple days. And we went to, I think it was Piccadilly Circus, I think. It was one of those, you know, famous places. And there was a, like a little stand where some guy was preaching. And, uh, you know, I was like, whatever. Like, I wanted to do touristy things. But, so, we had left, but our, our tube stop was there. So we ended up having to come back to that spot. He's still there. We ended up taking a break, and some other, and he basically said, anybody else, you know, so some guy gets up and starts talking, and it's, it is, I don't know what, it, what his deal was. And um, there was these two, two men, Scottish men, and they said, we've got to get this guy down. So they, they went to go get him down, and uh, they, they stood up, and then they actually said, this man does not speak for Christians or for Jesus. And they actually gave a really good, brief, synopsis of uh, <laughs> what it means to repent of your sins and receive uh, faith in Christ. I, I, was, I was like, whoa. And uh, another friend of mine, Joel Eckert, he, him and I, we were like, whoa. They, they, that was really good. It was clear, succinct, and truthful. And we're like, hey, you know, so we introduced ourselves. At, and so they sat down and nobody got up and it was like everyone just kind of dispersed. And so we introduced ourselves, and, uh, you know, they were like, oh, hey, you know. And um, the, the reality was is that those guys, even though really nobody probably was listening, they spoke in a very truthful way. And they spoke in a way that was, it was good for them, meaning that they didn't make any claims to be prophets or a special a preacher. They were simply articulating what, you know, kind of what the Bible said. And they used, I, I, always, I always think about it. I still, it was the first time I was exposed to it. They, they uh, had backpacks, and they talked about how the, back, the, the backpack was the weight of sin. And the other guy came, and he took, the, took it off, and they were freed from their sin. And I was like, wow, that's good. So, so, you know, it's not like it can't be done well, but most of the time it's this kind of scary, strange thing where, you're freaking out and you can't listen because you're not sure what, what this person is. And now, again, back to the biblical narrative. Last year when we talked about Thessalonians, what did Paul do often? Because he, he was confronted whether he was a legitimate speaker. And he legitimized himself always. A couple ways. I'm an apostle and also I'm not like those other guys who go around saying strange things. So again, know your Bible. When you come up to these guys, you, you can establish their authority. I mean, or you can just buy your donut and leave. I mean, <laughs> um, it's always a, a moral dilemma for me when I run into these people because I'm a pastor and I, I should care about that stuff. I should. I mean, when Joe witnesses come to the door, you know, I always don't mind talking to them or Mormons. Well, I mean, like, so uh, uh, there's just so many things to talk about. So Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, but Jehovah Witnesses specifically, they repeat an ancient heresy. Uh, depending on who I talk to, they're either... They're, they're Nestorians or, or, or Arians. And I just simply just say what the early church said about them. <laughs> Which usually means anathemize them, but you don't want to say that today. Uh, okay, so what's the Bible about? Well, it's about Jesus. And how we understand that is we only understand that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Given that, though, when uh, we do speak 
what the Bible speaks, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit blows where it, where it wills and where it goes, uh, John 3. So we say, we say it, and then the Holy Spirit just does, does what it does. Now, very quickly, uh, is the Bible reliable? It is reliable. What does reliable mean? Well, the oldest of the newest copies of the Bible, um, I, didn't, I didn't actually follow up with this, but there was a fragment from the Gospel of Mark that was found a few years ago, and they think it's from the first century. Holy smokes. Now, it's, it's small, but from the verses, it, it actually it would match you know, my ESV. I mean, whatever, the, the, Greek, the Greek version. But second century, there's, there's uh, manuscripts from the second century, of parts of the New Testament, and um, they, 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 I have my Greek New Testament upstairs, and they kind of all look the same. What we find out, though, is we don't have original copies. Okay, but original copies doesn't mean that it's not, not reliable. In fact, there's a theory that, um, so you have these second century uh, uh, copies. Does it, books were not written... Well, first of all, does anyone know what a scroll's written on? Yeah. How long does that last? It lasts a long time. And also, though, even with usage. Uh, yesterday, I went to Concordia, Chicago to preach at chapel, and the pastor there, Pastor Leiniger, he has this little book of pastoral care companion, which I use. And he, he uh, it's so worn out. But that book can be maybe like five years old. These ancient manuscripts, they were used often and they lasted. So there's a theory that these second century uh, manuscripts are probably based on first century manuscripts, meaning that they don't, you don't make new ones until the old ones get worn out. Well... So, anyways. So where are they? Are they in the Vatican? Oh, yeah, there's a variety of museums in, in places like the Vatican. Uh, there's uh, places in, in England that have them. One of the interesting things about, and this, I didn't want to get too far into this, but like kind of Bible history. The Irish, you can thank the Irish for saving a lot of uh, ancient manuscripts. Oh, the Irish saved the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh and in, in some of the monasteries up in uh, what now is Ireland. Uh, yeah. So, um, but, but there's, yeah, they're kind of all over. In fact, uh, there's, well, there's 5,700, although I, I, don't, I think that's, that's not quite complete manuscripts. But there's thousands of manuscripts, ancient manuscripts. And then there's also writings from, like, early church people that quote scripture. In fact, there, there, someone actually did this. They took like, uh, you know, people that you've already been mentioned, Augustine, uh, there's a guy, Irenaeus, uh, Athanasius, uh, Clement of Rome. Uh, there's a lot of these older guys that have these manuscripts all over. And then you can actually recreate the New Testament from their quotes. It's quoted. So, so scripture, um, and that's where you get the 25,000 sources for the New Testament. Um, and what's interesting is it's about 99% the same. Now, those statistics are, are quite reliable. What is different? Well, there are some uh, variants. I'll, I'll give you an example. That wasn't my example. I got this from uh, Higher Things thing. God gave his only son for the love for love the world so much he did not whatsoever believes in him will have life eternal and perish not. What 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 scripture is that? That's John three sixteen. In Greek, you can speak like Yoda, by the way. It still <laughs> it still makes sense. So these are these are kind of this is a kind of an example of a variant. But from the variants, you, you it's not like you can't tell what it says. It's not like for God gave his third son, Jesus, you know. Right. Um, and so that is one of the things that we, we don't quite understand is that um, the Bible that we have is, is really reliable. It's basically something that's like it was 2,000 years ago.
Uh, well, the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I, I didn't really get into that because I, I think there's like a Dead Sea Scroll website. I forgot I forgot to look that up. But that you know, did anyone ever? It was it, it took a tour. Was that like a decade ago or so? Yeah, it was all around. Did anybody go to that? Did you? Yeah. Was it interesting? Yeah, I was gonna say it was fascinating, right? I mean, well, I mean, maybe on a well, okay. Some people. I'm sure I would have been enthralled, and my kids would have been like, "Dad, let's get out of here." <laughs> now, compare and contrast. So, what's interesting is, is uh, like Homer and Aristotle, and I think like Socrates, Plato. Like, these are people that you learn in English. You know they exist. They have writings, but you have less. They're less reliable than the Bible in terms of their actual manuscripts and the age of the manuscripts. So it, it's something to kind of put in perspective is that when the Bible as a book is called into question, it, it, you would have to not believe in Homer then. Well, I don't think Homer really existed then. Or I, didn't, I don't think Aristotle was made up. Um, just biologically speaking. So it, it's one of those things where... Now, all I'm talking about is the book. This book. I'm not talking about the contents of the faith or, you know, if it's worth believing in. But the book as, as, some, as like a historical thing is, is reliable. What we have today is, is like what it was, you know, from, from the beginning. And, and so that is something that's important for us to know. Now, how did, how did the Bible come about? This is real simple. If, I mean, you can, you can go on the LCMS website and find all the stuff out too, but um, at least I think you can. But the, 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 the Bible was canonized, finally kind of come to a close by the end of the 4th century. That's 300s. But already in the 1st century, even from a heretic called Marcion, he has a list of New Testament scripture. And it's almost all the New Testament. Now, why would, why would I include a heretic? Um, uh, because, it, 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 well, for two reasons. A, it's historical. It's, it's good information. And B, it, to show that even heretics call on the authority of Scripture. So that just because you say the Bible is the Word of God doesn't mean you're always right, which we were going to get to later today. Maybe we'll get to it at a different time because this topic comes up again later in the book. Um, but how, how, how did the Bible, books of the Bible come about? There's basically three rules. The rule of faith. The, the, that which was uh, in it supports the creeds, or, but there's an early rule of faith. Christ is Lord. It's actually in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the examples, but it was apostolic, meaning every book in the New Testament has some relationship to the apostles. You might say Gospel of Mark. Mark wasn't an apostle, but early church thought Mark was, in fact, Peter's gospel. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, right. So, who's Luke's gospel? Yeah, it's Paul. The people thought it was Paul's gospel, but, but it was also, who said Mary? Yep. That's right. So, Luke's kind of an interesting guy because he sets down to write a orderly account. And so, he uses Mary. And so, the idea is like first eyewitnesses. So, the apostles too. But, okay. Um, there's a couple problematic ones, though, like the book of Hebrews. Who knows? All right. Nobody knows. Paul was given it, but there's also some early church, like, I think, Hegesippus. Uh, I think, yeah. Anyways, I think they said Luke or... Oh, and usage. I, they were just being widely used throughout the Catholic Church. I mean, just everybody. Everybody was using them. So those were the three usages. Uh, and... And the canon finally came about later through a church council, synods and councils, separate synods and councils, all kind of came to the point where like, hey, everyone's using these. They all have relations to the apostles. They all confess the true faith. Let's close this canon because at this time, there was also people who were writing uh, what would be called um, pseudepigrapha. People claim, oh, hey, man, I found this, this uh, book by Dionysus. The agrobite, agro, 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 
I can't remember his, what a, he's in, he's an axe. And they're like, holy smokes, look at all these writings we found from him. And it was all the way up, even up through the Middle Ages, they thought this was all, but by the Reformation, it had been proven that it was just some, some random guy who had a pen name who was claiming authority. So they, 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 you had your canon, you closed your canon. The Old Testament, by, by Jesus' time, that was already kind of closed. But you also had the Apocrypha and some Pseudepigrapha books of the Bible. The Apocrypha, in terms of these three usages, don't fit, and so that's why they were kind of secondary. Holly. No, yeah, so this is where we get the universe. So a couple things. First of all, the, but it's mainly the, the universal usage. They weren't u, u, used throughout all of, of the church. So you have certain branches of the church, like uh, kind of the Eastern church, and then like African church. When I say African, like North Africa, even up through Ethiopia, using certain some of these apocryphal books. But then other parts of the church weren't using them. So yeah, so you have the Roman Catholic Bible, Roman Catholic Bible, uh, and that that's the Apocrypha. Now they also though that is deuterocanonical. That's secondary to what we would consider the Bible. So they do not carry the same weight. But that that's a whole other issue. And that actually wasn't decided until the Council of Trent, fifteen something or another. Yeah, they read it. Yeah, now, yeah. So, but they also like, for instance, the Gospels are, are, yeah. So they, they, but they still call it the Word of the Lord. I mean, this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, but they don't. Yeah, it's not. It, that's why it's still in a separate section in their Bibles. Yeah. What's the variant in the 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 you mean the variants like well first of all I should explain so what's that why wasn't it used throughout the church oh I don't know so it could be availability but it could have been but uh, it, it could be just basically some churches didn't want to use it because that's probably based on their bishops that's a whole other like life of the church question yeah yeah but these three rules though so you have the apocrypha. Um, the rule of faith. Is, is pro- There's a couple apocryphal books that say things that are different than like what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus, there's this theory where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If I say this, he's actually quoting one of the books of the apocrypha. So, yeah. Or the theory goes, I mean. Okay, we got to get going though. So uh, let's pray. And Christy, you can, we, we can talk afterwards. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.